see is a bully. That's what we talked about on Friday's show. And I think Puff Daddy, Sean P. Diddy Combs, was listening to Friday's show because it was surreal. Just after we dropped the show, I was reading reports that P. Diddy's PR people, whatever, the the machine that's around that surrounds P. Diddy, was referring to Salalosi as a bully. I couldn't believe it after Friday's show. Unbelievable. We had a lot of great feedback from Friday's show. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. It's my proudest show. It's the show that I would hope everyone would go listen to. If, if anyone says, hey, if, is there a show that I should listen to to get a good sense for what you're about, I would say go back and listen to last Friday's show. Now, on Friday's show, we talked about a correlation trap that many fantasy football analysts fall into when they are analyzing coaches and they are attributing the production of certain players to coaches and they are attributing trends to coaches. Oh, this trend, this coach always deploys his running backs in a bell cow fashion. This coach loves running back by committee. This coach likes having one bell cow. Never mind that it just happens to be that that coach coached star players, studs. Norv Turner throughout his career has coached Emmett Smith and Ladanian Tomlinson. So of course he's going to prefer the bell cow. Whereas other coaches like Bill Belichick have not had a Ladanian Tomlinson ever in their career. They've never coached an Emmett Smith. So it makes sense that Bill Belichick's career, when you look back at his running back resume, you see a number of running backs by committee. That's causation versus correlation. It's a correlation trap. And whenever you start analyzing the trends the behavioral trends of the coaches, you always, always, always fall into a correlation trap. That's why you don't hear analysis of the coach on this show very often. It's largely irrelevant, and the coach matters on the margins, and there are a handful of opportunities where you can leverage your knowledge of the coach, where you know that a coach, for example, like Mark Tressman, does have running back checks downs as a, as a high priority for his quarterbacks. That in the read progressions for Mark Tressman offenses, the running back check down is prioritized. We know that. There's a handful of things we know about how coaches like to run their offenses, but generally their offenses have produced in ways that are aligned with the players that they've had at their disposal to deploy. Correlation trap. And the best example that I can show you to, to expose a correlation trap is to say, well, look at the history of Lucas Oil Stadium. Lucas Oil Stadium has had 19 of the last 20 top 10 passing seasons. Oh, Lucas Oil Stadium is a holy site. No! no nothing special about Lucas Oil Stadium. They just happen to have Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. It was luck. Literally, luck. Just like Norv Turner happens to have had LaDainian Tomlinson and Emmett Smith and now Adrian Peterson. It's just luck. Bill Belichick hasn't had. Who's the best running back in, the his, in Bill Belichick's career? Is it Corey Dillon? 
Who's the most talented? Robert Edwards? Think about it. But no, no, no. I bet the cooling Mr. Fans at Lucas Oil Stadium, I bet they're spraying holy water. It is, it is, it is sacred ground. There must be something about Lucas Oil Stadium that makes it special. Just like there must be something about Norv Turner that makes him special. He can turn water into wine. He can turn any average running back into Emmett Smith or Ladanian Tomlinson or Adrian Peterson, right? He can turn any running back into a bell cow. That's what Norv Turner does. Norv Turner has that ability, just like Lucas Oil Stadium has the ability to turn Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning into Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? Wrong! The answer is the player, not the coach. Typically, if you want to go to the heart of what drives the performance on the field, it is the player, not the coach. That was the crux of Friday's show. And at the end, what we said was, team owners are largely useless. And I believe that the way we solve this problem the problem of the players not getting enough credit for their performances and too much credit being attributed to the coaches and also this dishonest power dynamic where the, the players, like even LeBron James, have to fake the obedience to the coach even though LeBron James is actually in charge. So this sort of farcical relationship that the coaches and the players have in team sports. Same thing with Peyton Manning and whoever his offensive coordinator is, whoever his head coaches, Peyton Manning's in charge, LeBron James is in charge, but they have to pretend that the coach is in charge. The way to solve that problem is that all of the players should pool their resources in team sports, form consortiums, and start their own leagues where they are the owners of the franchise. And the coaches work for them just like tennis coaches and golf coaches. And we can abolish this notion of the singular team owner. Daniel Snyder's of the world can cease to exist. That would be my perfect world. And the biggest hurdle, I've talked with my friends about this, this ideal. The biggest hurdle would be raising the initial capital and winning over sponsors both of which would be impossible and which makes the idea impractical. But it's a fun thought exercise, you have to admit. So we don't need to brainstorm that one any further. My idealism isn't going to come true on that. But I believe that would solve the problem. And we also got some interesting tweets and emails from listeners who I, I don't know if they were listening fully. I, I th maybe they were taking the, the show, some of the, the talking points of the show out of context. But we certainly got some useless tweets after Friday's show reminding me that assault with gym equipment is immoral. Yes, I know that. Thank you very much, Buzzards. Thank you for that. No one here and I'm the only one here, so me, I'm not advocating for assault. So your emails and texts 
talking about the immorality of swinging or harming someone with a dumbbell, those are useless contributions to the show. As a listener of the show, one of the things I ask your permission for is the ability to step out of the minutiae and out of the tedious details and see the big picture. Obviously, Salalosi is a slimeball. Obviously, P. Diddy is an arrogant, entitled celebrity. I'd like to step back into the abstract and discuss larger social issues and the social dynamics that surround some of these issues that pop up in sports now and again. And that one was interesting, and it was on topic. So please, just assume that I am not a sociopath... And that I do understand the basics of right and wrong. You can go ahead and assume that, buzzards. Thank you. And then we can have a conversation that's actually interesting. Because no, I'm not, we don't need to have a conversation about whether it's right or wrong to assault someone with gym equipment. Obviously, that's wrong. I mean, unbelievable. But I will say... No one actually knows what happened in that office between Salalosi and P. Diddy. So you can all also stop sending me links to these one-sided sports media blurbs that only include information from the accuser. If a police report was always simply a list of facts, we wouldn't need a judicial system. I personally have been linked and referenced in a press release that was discussing nefarious activity. I have. I've been accused. I've seen court documents that mischaracterize my activity. I've read court documents that include blatant falsehoods about my behavior. So spare me your indignant emails and tweets with this ridiculous assumption that I'm in favor of assault by kettlebell. No, I am not. Obviously, any type of weapon used to threaten someone or assault someone is an immoral act. But we don't know the full truth of the events that occurred. It's always a one... The police report is always one-sided. Always. And it's maddening to me that it is simply copy and pasted and assumed as fact. All we know is that Diddy confronted a man who has a track record of misbehavior. That track record includes running onto the field and tripping an opposing member of of the other team during a kick return. That happened. Salalosi did that. So Diddy confronted that guy in his office. That guy who his son claims bullied him for years. The father isn't happy with that. Would any father be happy about hearing that their son was bullied for years by an individual? And so yeah, the father naturally went to the source and said, What's going on? Let's talk about this. We know that happened. After that, we don't know what happened behind closed doors. 
So I have a piece of life advice. So some people have said, some of the, the buzzards have said, hey, give us some life advice once in a while. So here's some life advice for you. You ready for this life advice? When reading any piece of nonfiction, history book, article, news story, whatever it is, always drop the assumption of objectivity. Always. Because once you stop assuming that media reports are objective, history books are objective, you can start to perceive the subjective points of view that are embedded within what you're reading. And then you can get closer to the truth, and then that's when you stop living in the matrix. That's part of that process of leaving the matrix. Now, Buzzard writes in, I agree with you about Mike Evans looking like a possible burnout. What is up with that beard? Now, normally I don't give credence to this kind of buzzardry. We don't normally read these kinds of emails that are sound ridiculous, really. But in this case, I have to say that bad patchy beards do give me pause. James Harden's beard is a sculpted work of art. Mike Evans' beard is like the edge of my daughter's face after she downs a smoothie too fast. Doesn't look good. It's a bad look. It, it, it looks unkept. That's just... So, yeah. It makes sense that unkept... Unkempt... Would be a red flag. I think Mike Evans' bad beard is a huge red flag. There, I said it. I said it. Now, while we're we're simply recounting shows from last week, hey, anything new, anything original you have for us, Matt Kelly? Not really. Not really. Don't have anything much. I don't have much for you. Sorry. You can turn off the show now. You know, <laughs> I don't have much for you. <laughs> it's June. The players have aren't even at camp anymore. There's nothing going on. You refresh your Roto World app. It's news from three days ago. There's nothing new to talk about. But last week, I talked about DeMarco Murray being the best of the flawed options in fantasy drafts. That he is the player that I'm picking first overall. And then we had some buzzards write in and ask, well, how many, how many touches are you projecting for him? Tell us exactly how many targets he's going to have. I don't know. I don't know exactly. My projection for DeMarco Murray is 350 touches. Seems conservative, seems reasonable, based on the touches that LaShawn McCoy and DeMarco Murray have both received in previous years. Oh, but what about Ryan Matthews? Ryan Matthews, scheduled to make $11 million. DeMarco Murray, though it's not guaranteed, I know that, buzzards, thank you in advance, $40 million. It's perception. In the locker room, you have a $40 million man and you have an $11 million man. The $40 million man is going to get the lion's share of the carries. He is going to eat the big piece of chicken. That's just how it works with franchises. They know, we know, we all know about the salary cap. We all know about non-guaranteed contracts. We understand that. We understand that DeMarco Murray will probably be cut at some point because of the salary cap and will never make the full $40 million. That doesn't matter. What matters is the perception. The perception is that DeMarco Murray was signed by the Philadelphia Eagles to be their new bell cow running back and to take over for LaShawn McCoy. 
and Ryan Matthews was signed to be a backup. That's what those dollar amounts tell us. And when the Eagles go out this season and lead the NFL in rushing attempts, it's not going to matter, actually, that Ryan Matthews was the primary back for a full drive in the first half and a full drive in the second half. That could very easily happen. Ryan Matthews, I think, will receive a larger opportunity share this year than Chris Polk did last year, for example. But I don't think it's going to matter because I think the Eagles are going to be a better offense. They're going to have even more volume, and there will be enough volume. The volume pie will be big enough in Philadelphia to support DeMarco Murray as an RB1 in fantasy and Ryan Matthews as an RB3 in fantasy. They can support both. It's not a problem. So bringing up Ryan Matthews as an argument against DeMarco Murray creates a false dichotomy. If you're drafting DeMarco Murray, you should absolutely be drafting Ryan Matthews, especially in Draftmaster formats. In Draftmaster formats, it is a very highly recommended tactic that you back up your starting running backs with their handcuffs because you don't have access to the waiver wire. So if running back X gets injured, you want the backup on your roster, on your bench, to be able to replace him because you have no recourse on the waiver wire if it's a Draftmaster format. So if you're drafting DeMarco Murray, just go ahead and also draft Ryan Matthews. He's one of the best handcuffs in the NFL, and he has some standalone RB3 upside. But that doesn't take away from the fact that DeMarco Murray will be an RB1 in fantasy and has the highest floor of any running back in fantasy football. And in previous shows, we've talked about Le'Veon Bell is actually a greater injury risk than DeMarco Murray because of the severe underreported injury to his knee that Le'Veon Bell sustained at the end of last year. And Le'Veon Bell is already scheduled to miss multiple games because he violated the league's substance abuse policy which is also a red flag in and of itself. So you've got an injury red flag, you've got a substance abuse red flag, and you've got the fact that he's missing games! And you have to add an extra running back on your roster in standard leagues and in Draftmaster leagues while Le'Veon Bell sits out multiple games and you're left with replacement-level productivity in those weeks. And the fact that Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers as a whole cannot replicate last season's volume. The Steelers' prolificness in 2014 was an anomaly. So we've dismissed Le'Veon Bell as a possible first overall pick. Again, DeMarco Murray is, process, is, is number one by process of elimination. I'm not excited about DeMarco Murray like I was Matt Forte in previous years. He's just the best of flawed options. He's better than Le'Veon Bell, so now we have to go out and not... So it's not really about 
touting DeMarco Murray as much as it's going out and looking at the other running back options and knocking them out of the picture, arguing against them. So who's next? Who's after Le'Veon Bell? Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson, the guy that has 2,200-plus career touches and a jaw-dropping chronological injury history. You can go to playerprofiler.com, click on the medical icon, and you can read more than 10 injuries that Adrian Peterson has sustained over the last few years. On top of the fact that he didn't even play in 2014. And that Jarek McKinnon is simply a better running back at this point in their respective careers. Particularly in the passing game. And if Adrian Peterson gets hurt, even if he do- let's say he doesn't get hurt, even if he doesn't get hurt, he will still be less efficient than he was in years past because he's 30. And he has 220, 2,200 plus touches on his odometer. Even in his prime, Adrian Peterson couldn't soak up enough targets to be considered the top back off the board in PPR leagues. And PPR is all anyone plays anymore. Obviously. It's called a standard league, but it shouldn't be called a standard league. It should be called not a league anyone plays anymore. Everyone plays PPR. So that should be the default when you say, oh, here are my rankings. Here's where this player finished in 2014. The assumption should be in a PPR league because that's all anyone plays. MFL 10, what is that? PPR. That's what everyone's playing now. That's what all the zombies are playing, the slow draft zombies. They're playing PPR leagues. It's all PPR. PPR, PPR, PPR. That's what it is. Enough with the standard leagues. It's not standard. It's unstandard. It's like Neanderthal leagues. Neanderthals are extinct. Standard leagues are extinct. It's Neanderthal leagues. So... If Adrian Peterson wasn't the top back in PPR leagues ever in his career, he certainly isn't the top back in PPR leagues when he's 30 years old. That's insane. Yet, Mike Clay, who is now at ESPN, who we can all agree is not a hack writer. In fact, Mike Clay is one of the best writers in the industry. He recently wrote a whole article on ESPN.com outlining why Adrian Peterson is easily his first overall pick. So, let's get right to it. I'm going to give you what his argument was in an outline here. Basically, his reasoning was as follows. Mike Clay believes that Peterson does, in fact, have superstar ability, as shown by one heck of a resume and that Adrian Peterson is one of the best running backs of all time. He believes that Adrian Peterson has previously fared well after an extended absence. So even though he missed 2014, it's fine. Peterson has a track record of coming back after an extended absence just fine. Norv Turner's impact can't be overlooked. Norv Turner will have a positive impact on Adrian Peterson. Again, a large portion of this article is devoted to why the coach is the reason why the player will perform at a high level. See if there's a correlation trap there. Most likely there is. We'll keep going here. 
The other reason is that the Vikings are good at football. The Vikings are going to be better this year. There'll be more volume. There'll be a more prolific offense. There'll be more touchdowns to go around on the Vikings this year. And his, his conclusion is, at the end of the day, Adrian Peterson is an elite running back, a talent that we've rarely seen. He's a workhorse back. Workhorse, I said workhorse correctly. In an offense that will lean on the run and score plenty of points. Adrian Peterson's track record and ability easily offsets any concerns about his age and the time off. And he he ends, he concludes with Adrian Peterson is your best bet with the first overall pick. And I disagree with that. Now, why? why? You're going to disagree with a hugely respected Mike Clay? You can't do that. Are you insane? He might never come on your show. You're not about to you're not about to dismiss an article written by Mike Clay or you're not about to shred Mike Clay's work. You can't do that, Matt. Matt, you can't. You can't do that. You just can't. He's too well respected. You can't do that. You can't burn all these bridges. Has anyone ever wondered why that is? You ever wondered why whenever you listen to a podcast, it's just a bunch of guys agreeing? It's just a bunch of collegial jibber-jabber? Have you ever wondered why that is? Have you ever wondered why there's so little disagreement amongst fantasy writers? Because no one ever wants to piss the other guy off. Because that guy might give me a job one day. That guy might want to have me on his podcast. I might want to have that guy on my podcast. I might want to have that guy write an article for me. I might want to be in that guy's mock mock draft. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. I'm not going to criticize his work. I'm going to make sure I'm very careful. I'm going to make sure I am overly politically correct. And, And I'm going to couch everything I say, even if I disagree with him, with multiple layers of friendliness and dilution before I disagree with him, because I want to make sure that he doesn't think that I'm a troll. I want to make sure he doesn't think that I don't respect his work. Yes. Oh, yes. No, that's that, that's that's the great thing about this show. And that's the great thing about playerprofiler.com, is we are beholden to no one. We aren't affiliated with anybody. We can say whatever we want. I don't care. And this show, I do it by myself. Why? So I could care less whether anyone will ever come on because guess what? No one comes on anyway. So we can go ahead and critique any article. Even if it's the Mike Clay piece on ESPN.com, it doesn't matter. So, the first thing I'll warn you about is a common trick that you'll see. So, that one of the stats that was that was posited in, in this in this article was that over the past 15 years 13 running backs 30 years or older have put together a season with 1000 yards from scrimmage and at least 10 touchdowns numerous statistics about where running back X fell in the running back rankings now we talked about this before Whenever anyone is touting Adrian Peterson, they never specify PPR or non-PPR. Nowhere in this article does it specify PPR or non-PPR. 
That is the great sleight of hand whenever anyone is touting Adrian Peterson. They will never tell you whether they are using stats that are PPR or non-PPR. Because guess what? They're always grabbing non-PPR stats because that confirms their argument. That supports their position and confirms their bias. Again, no one plays non-PPR leagues. Now, and if I'm going to go out, number two, if I'm going to go out and tout Adrian Peterson, I'm going to talk about his numbers and his career numbers. If you're going to say that Adrian Peterson is one of the greats ever, then I'm going to talk solely about his yards per carry and his touchdowns per season. Adrian Peterson is top five of all time in yards per carry. That's hugely impressive. That's amazing. Think about that for a second. Incredible. But when Mike Clay is talking about Adrian Peterson, yes, he mentions his 5.2 career yards per carry, but then he also says, watch the tape. Ask your dad. The guy's one of the best ever. Hmm. So, should I also be citing my own personal lie test and my dad's lie test in my future articles when I'm touting players? This is now a piece of evidence in favor of a player is what my dad thinks? No. You know who else is one of the best best of all time? LaDainian Tomlinson. Yes. Okay. LaDainian Tomlinson on the Jets was not a guy that you should be picking first overall. And Adrian Peterson, with the the version of Adrian Peterson that has 2,200-plus touches at 30 years old is no longer an Adrian Peterson that's at the peak of NFL performance. That player is history! Just like LaDainian Tomlinson on the Jets was not the same LaDainian Tomlinson that was at the peak of, the, of his profession when he was on the Chargers. This is an apples and oranges conversation. LaDainian Tomlinson then, and LaDainian Tomlinson on the Jets. Apples and oranges. Adrian Peterson then, and Adrian Peterson now, is apples and oranges. Now, also, third point. I agree, the Vikings will take a huge step forward this year because their passing game will improve, because Teddy Bridgewater and Charles Johnson and Mike Wallace will propel this team, I think, very possibly, top 10 offense this year. And there is a running back on the Vikings who happens to be better in the passing game than Adrian Peterson. His name is Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon, who in this article, Mike Clay, says Jarek McKinnon is unimpressive. And that's why we have playerprofiler.com. Jarek McKinnon is the only player with both a 100th percentile spark score and a 100th percentile athleticism score on his playerprofiler.com profile. That matters. McKinnon will definitely receive a meaningful opportunity share in 2015. I'm sorry, Peterson Zealots, it's true. You cannot forget about Jarek McKinnon when you are running the numbers and projecting touches for Adrian Peterson, particularly in the passing game. Oh, but Norv Turner prefers a bell cow. That's Norv Turner. 
There it is! The correlation trap! Thank you! It's here! We It's arrived! The correlation trap! This is it! Norv Turner will make sure that Adrian Peterson breaks his career record for targets in a game. No, he won't! No, he won't! You know why? Because Norv Turner has never had the opportunity to deploy a Jarek McKinnon-type player in the passing game as a change of pace back. In fact, the last back that Norv Turner had that was anything like Jarek McKinnon was LaDainian Tomlinson! Last year, Jarek McKinnon racked up 27 catches in just 11 games that he was active, getting only 50% snap share in those games. So if you project him to be a full-time player, or not a full-time player, if you project Jarek McKinnon to be active in all 16 games, based on that number of catches per snap, Jarek McKinnon based on what he did last year as a rookie, having come from Georgia Southern where he played quarterback, you can project Jarek McKinnon to have well over 50 catches this year. Not Adrian Peterson. Now, in his final outlook, as we mentioned, Mike Clay stated made, made a strong and compelling argument with statistics said over the past 15 years, 13 running backs 30 years or older have put together a season with 1,000 yards from scrimmage and at least 10 touchdowns. Warning, warning, warning. You have just heard a reverse-engineered statistical trick. Warning, warning, warning. This is a reverse-engineered statistical trick. Because why? Why is it a statistical trick? Because why 15? Why not 10? Why not 20? Well, 15 is the confirmation bias-soaked number that confirms our argument. And why do you choose arbitrary date ranges and data ranges to best fit your existing assumptions? Because you're trying to prove a point in an article. That's what confirmation bias is. Where were you on the first day of confirmation bias class, Matt? A fantasy writer without reverse-engineered Niche stats is like a samurai without a sword. And why yards from scrimmage? Why not just yards? Well, because that better fits the argument. 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns? 1,000 scrimmage yards and 10 touchdowns? That's not even that good. That's not, that actually helps my argument against Peterson. Thirdly, only 13 in 15 years? That's less than one per year. Again, this is not, that's not a great stat for Peterson. It sounds good, kinda, but it's not even that good. In fact, I'm going to use that exact stat in a future article when I'm arguing that DeMarco Murray should be the first overall pick in fantasy drafts. Also, Let's think about the running backs that are included in that stat. That stat includes Priest Holmes. Priest Holmes' total number of career carries was 1,780, less than 2,000. And he had less than 1,500 carries on his odometer 
before that 2003 season that Clay is referencing. And I didn't argue with Mike Clay on social media about this. I just read the article and I said, yeah, there's some things on this that I, in this article I disagree with and I want to talk about it on today's show. I don't want to, I don't want to belittle the article in any way. I just think there are certain places that I think we can disagree. And I can explain to you why I don't use those particular tricks or, and I don't use those particular pieces of information like a coach's history with his running backs in my fantasy articles. But Graham Barfield, a guy I respect, you should go absolutely go follow Graham Barfield on Twitter. He actually did reply to Mike Clay on Twitter. Because I think Graham Barfield, like me, disagrees with this position. And Graham Barfield wrote, Since 2000, only 2 of 18, that's 11%, of running backs that saw 200-plus carries in their age 30 season finished as a top 3 PPR running back. Now, I admit, Graham backed into that stat just like Clay backed into his. Why a top 3? Why not a top 5? What about the age 31 seasons? Again, that was also a statistical trick. But, in response to Graham Barfield's comment, Mike Clay come back at, came back at him with the following. He said, number one, that's a small sample size! <laughs> you mean smaller than the 13 running backs over 15 years that you trotted out earlier? And he said this, Adrian Peterson is a rare outlier. Here we go! Here we go, it all comes back to this. It all comes back to the mythology. Adrian Peterson is not built like other human beings. He was kidnapped by a rogue scientist and his skeleton has been infused with adamantium. And he also has retractable claws that none of you have seen yet. He hasn't had a chance to use them. The problem with Adrian Peterson is that his 2,000-plus violent carries came mostly against base defenses. And he's 30 years old. And he spent the last year away from the sport. And he has a chronological list of injuries that is terrifying. All of those things together make him very risky. Too risky to draft with your first overall pick. If there was a prop bet in Vegas, I would plead with every member of the Roto Underworld audience to take the bet in Vegas. Take the under on whatever the over-under is on the number of games played for Adrian Peterson in the 2015 season. Book it. Cash it. Just like when Matthew Barry advocated for drafting Michael Vick with the first overall selection because Michael Vick is a once-in-a-lifetime freak athlete, you now have the best writer. Mike Clay is the best writer at ESPN. You now have the best fantasy writer at ESPN touting the mythological hero Adrian Peterson as the number one overall pick because his dad said so. It's safe to say when the mutant superhero mythology and the dad hype is driving up a player's fantasy value, it's time to bet against that player. 